You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Tinian Crawford, also known as Captain DIY, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Hey, it's Robert Farrington from The College Investor, and you are listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. This is Matt with How to Money, and you are listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc, we have the question today of should you take a non-professional career path to achieve financial independence? We have three guests that have different career paths that we are going to explore, and they're going to comment on what they think about the question. But first, let's jump in and do some quick introductions. Tinian, would you mind going first, please? Absolutely. So my name is Tinian Crawford. I'm colloquially known as Captain DIY. I write the blog DIYDefy.com. I do some DIY projects on the blog, but I also talk a lot about kind of the philosophy behind why you should learn skills that will help you maintain your home, your car, your life, etc. Well, thanks for coming out today. Robert, how about you? Quick introduction, please, sir. Yeah, so I'm Robert Farrington. I'm the founder of The College Investor, and I talk all about helping young adults and really anyone get out of student loan debt and start investing and building wealth early for the future. And you can listen to us on The College Investor audio show or check us out on the blog. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Matt, how about you? Quick introduction, please, sir. I am an advertising dropout, like advertising agency dropout turned self-employed photographer, which I've done now for 10 years. And during those 10 years, my wife and I have purchased a few houses. We've had a few babies. A little over a year now that Joel and I have been co-hosting our podcast called How to Money. So Robert, I'm going to start with you today, but I'm going to run this question down the panel. We talk a lot in financial independence community about being professional or what is a professional. And certainly in our community, there's lots of doctors and lawyers and engineers. What do you consider to be a professional? You know, it's so hard, but when I think of a professional in my mind, I always think of someone wearing a suit and tie every day and going into an office. And I guess, you know, medical professionals and stuff too, I guess if they're not in the OR, they're probably wearing a suit or something a little dressier. And so that's really kind of how I always envision a professional. When we envision professional, it's very getting dressed up, going to an office every day and doing some kind of work. Tiniana, do you consider an electrician a professional? Absolutely. Yeah. I I consider being a professional as more of a mindset kind of thing. I think it depends on if you view your job as a job or as a career. I think a professional will be somebody that is in a career. You know, for me personally, as an electrician, I view that as my career currently. So I do consider myself a professional in that respect. Matt, talk to me a little bit about the arc of your career. When did you decide to be a photographer? You kind of mentioned that first you went into advertising. What made you make the switch? I was always drawn towards just graphic arts, right? So the visual side of art, of design. And as a graphic designer, I found myself drawn specifically towards photography. So essentially, I was hired with an agency in 2006. If you remember 2007 and 2008, those were rough times. And our, our agency lost a couple of big clients. I saw the writing on the wall and it coincided with me finding or realizing that in my life that I was kind of learning about myself and like, 
what did I want to do? Did I want to have to drive to work every day and sit, even though it was a cool office and, you know, we had the creative department and we were sitting there with other designers, but still there was a lot of constraints there in regards to my freedom, what I was able to do on my own time. And I found that to be the biggest reason to consider something different. And, and I was always drawn to photography, enjoyed it, and uh, found a way to, to make a living out of it. So. So Robert, Matt talks about starting his career in advertising. You didn't start your career at the College Investor. That was something you came to later. What did you do originally? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of fell into my career, right? So I started working at Target when I was 16 in high school because my mom said, if I wanted to drive a car, I had to pay for it. And so she said, go to the mall and get a job. And that's what I did. I went to uh, the mall and I applied and got a job as a car attendant at Target. You know, it just kind of grew from there. I went to college. I still was working at Target. I liked it. And I fell into being an assistant manager at Target after I graduated and, you know, ended up being a store manager and I worked there for almost 17 years. Uh, you know, it was a, a lot of time working at Target as a store manager. So Robert, I'd like to play with that a little bit. Thinking about this idea of a professional job, there really isn't a strict definition, but this is my take on it. And when I take your example, when you were working at Target and before you were a manager, that wasn't being a professional. But when you became management, somehow in my mind, okay, okay, that's a profession. You are now in a professional job. Do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, Target, you don't wear a suit and a tie, but I definitely put on my red and khaki. When I became a manager, right, I went from my scrubby red and khaki to I would wear dress khaki pants and my red shirt. So yeah, I, I kind of see that. Matt, you know, most professions have their dress code, right? Tinian, I'm sure when you go in to be an electrician, people expect to see you look a certain way. And Robert, when you go to a store like Target and you're the manager, they expect you to dress a certain way. Matt, how does a photographer dress and what does that say about your profession? Backing up a little bit, I will say as a graphic designer, right, not dealing with clients, I could roll in with my jeans on and a t-shirt. It was frowned upon if I did that every single day, but as long as I had the hoodie, right, like that's the trademark <laughs> for a graphic designer, you just have to have a hoodie and some jeans. Uh, as a photographer, I take on all sorts of projects, or I have, I should say. In the past few years, I've identified that weddings are my go-to job. They're the most fun. They have the highest energy. And honestly, it's just the way I'm able to best make a career. You know, we were just talking about, like, how do you differentiate between a job and then making something a career? I think that's a good way to think about it. Like, how do you want to present yourself to your client? Like, how seriously do you want the job to be? Because sure, you could have a, a title of a job that might be, you would consider fairly fancy. If you're not approaching it with the mindset of this is my career and this is something I want to pursue, well, you know, you can only get so far just by showing up regardless of what your title is. Uh, as a wedding photographer, though, I try to blend in with guests. Some of this makes me wonder, did you get into photography as a hobby or was there some plan to make that a career from the beginning? From the beginning, I had always enjoyed it as a hobby in high school and in college. I always had an interest in photography. It wasn't until I specifically identified that there is an opportunity in the market. And again, specifically in the wedding photography market, there wasn't the type of photography out there that my wife and I were specifically looking for. And I saw that as an opportunity. And when we quickly did the math, because if you go to wedding photographers' websites, they typically have their rates. So it's extremely easy to do a quick breakdown and decide how many weddings at this rate do I need to shoot a year in order to make a living, in order to support my family and to achieve some of the other goals that we were wanting to uh, achieve at that time. Tinian, as I listen to Matt, I start to think, you know, he's talking about how many weddings does he have to shoot to make a living to meet his goals? As you looked at becoming an electrician, did you become an electrician because you had a deep interest in doing that work or was it more of a means to an end, a way of making a living in a way such that you could enjoy yourself enough to show up every day at work? Yeah, I had no intention of becoming an electrician ever until I started getting emails. Basically, what was happening was I was working as a uh, production manager at a sign shop. I actually went to school for graphic design as well. So I was doing that for a while. I got this job at the sign shop and it was all fine and dandy and I was making 13 bucks an hour and I was happy. And uh, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was realizing that this was kind of a dead end career for me. You know, I'd always been a little bit creative, but I enjoyed working my hands and I had expressed some interest in learning electrical skills because of signs that had electricity in them. So next thing I know, I start getting emails from the local vocational schools that my wife had signed me up for. So I went and checked one of them out. You know, it seemed like a pretty decent program. So I, I hopped on board and I just kind of went with it. Like I, 
I didn't really do it with any real direction. I just did it because it seemed like it was fun and I heard electricians made good money. You know, now that I'm in it, I work for a local university and then I also have a business on the side where I do electrical work for myself. And I was going over some numbers with my wife the other day and I'm realizing that right now I'm charging market rate, which is about $85 an hour. So if I were to put in 20 hours a week, that's roughly a thousand hours a year, that's $85,000. So this is definitely a viable path for somebody who's trying to get to financial independence. You know, you can make good money and I can basically do the jobs that I want to do because there's so much demand right now. Robert Tinian used the words, it's a viable path. Certainly, it sounds like from what you've described about working at Target, that became a very viable path, not only to financial independence, but just to making a a really nice living. How far along were you on that pathway before you realized that, hey, I could just stay at Target and do really well? You know, it did definitely took a couple years because I don't know, I had this in my mind and maybe it's a combination of what society expects and my parents expected, but like, you know, oh, you're, you're still working at Target. Like that's weird, right? But I liked it. I found it to be easy. It's probably one of the biggest drawbacks is that you do work nights and weekends, but what that actually gives you is days. So I had days in the week that I wasn't doing anything, which I found to be amazing. I really enjoyed that. And so like the combination of the flexibility and and the income is pretty good. You know, I didn't really understand FI or anything until my wife really started kicking me in the butt about IRAs and, uh, you know, maxing out my 401k and different things. But it was good. Like it just kind of all came together over the first few years after I graduated college. So Matt, Robert talks a little bit about kind of family and friends reaction to his job. I'm wondering if you face some backlash from your loved ones when you said, I'm going to leave advertising and I'm going to focus just on photography. Yeah, honestly, no. My family and my friends, my wife, they were incredibly supportive. It was helpful that, I mean, it was fairly early on in my career at the advertising agency. So I was pretty low on the totem pole. It's not like I was leaving a posh executive job where I had specific accounts where I was in charge of. So because of that, there was very little sacrifice there from that standpoint. And there was very little risk involved for me financially as well. It was a, a period in my life where my wife and I, we didn't have any debts, uh, zero debts, including a mortgage. We were just renting at the time. And so man, the world was our oyster. We could do pretty much whatever we wanted. We could have moved anywhere we wanted to. And that was the, the best time for us to have started something new. And I mentioned my wife because we, we started it together. That was the, another reason as an entrepreneur that we were seeking to do something new and that we wanted to do ourselves was because we wanted to spend time together. Uh, we were newlyweds and it really sucked having to go off and work all day and not see her in Atlanta. I don't know if you've heard, traffic is terrible. And so spending time in the car commuting on top of working all day, it quickly became sort of soul sucking. And for me, finding something that we could do together was top priority, which is what we did. And this may not be something you spend a lot of time thinking about, but when I was thinking about this panel and kind of where we were trying to go with this and, you know, there's kind of this this societal hierarchy of jobs, right? Where does photographer fit in that class? Do you think? Well, I will say as a wedding photographer myself, right, I'm biased towards wedding photography. It's crucial uh, when it comes to couple getting married, you got to have someone there taking the images in a way that they will be able to remember it for the rest of their lives, right? But it just depends. And it kind of goes back to the notion of how do you approach your profession? And so if you're going to approach it from the standpoint of I'm just going to show up, I'm going to clock, you know, punch the clock, just kind of do the projects, do the jobs. I'm going to show up, take the headshots for the, you know, the business, the corporation, whatever it, or real estate, right? I've done real estate work as well. You just show up, you shoot the houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you go at it from the standpoint of an artist, that's when it quickly sort of elevates, right? And the, right. the same way that you've got, just think of actors, you've got actors that show up and they're extras or they've got just paid gigs for local commercials. And then you've got the guys that are just really going after it, right? And they are method actors and they're just in it. I mean, day and night, And those are the guys that win the awards. And I'm not seeking to win any awards per se, but when you approach it from the standpoint of, you know, what is it that I'm trying to achieve and and how am I trying to treat my client? That really fuels me. And that's why I love weddings as well is because it's so tangible. You know, everybody's so happy. Uh, They're happy to see you. They're happy to see their images. And in the end, it's hard to beat the good vibes from a wedding. So Robert, listening to Matt, and it starts making me think about the deeper questions about work, right? So we started talking about these being, you know, quote unquote, non-professional or or non-traditional career paths. But it starts to really beg the question of, well, we call them non-traditional 
or non-professional because we have these ideas a priori of what we should do either to make a living or to become financially independent. But sometimes I wonder, does it really matter? Honestly, no. And that's one of the things that I love about the FI community as a whole, that there's just so many different paths to achieving you know, your own personal definition of what financial independence is, what works for you in terms of work and life. And I love that there's so many people breaking these traditional molds. And like, like we started this conversation off and I had this like and I still do. I have these constructs in my mind of what professional is and isn't. And I don't think it matters. Honestly, I don't. I think it is a construct, but I think it's better said traditional and non-traditional or traditional slash like do whatever the heck you want to do because it really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. You do you and uh, whatever works, man. Like that's, that's what I'm really all about. And one of the things I wanted to mention too is not just personal fulfillment and satisfaction too, but I mean, specific to the numbers, right? Like you guys talk a lot about financial independence and I wanted to touch on that because for Kate and I, we have an idea of what we typically make every year, pretty much for the past decade, but obviously that's averaged out. And so so some of the early years, we only were bringing in maybe around 35K, whereas other years we're making 135,000, right? And so because of that, we don't have sort of like that set retirement date, like a target retirement date. Like we don't exactly know when we might be financially independent. And that's something that if you are seeking stability, I guess, and wanting to know where you're going to be after a certain number of years, that's just difficult, especially as an entrepreneur. But in a non-professional career as well, you have to be okay with not knowing exactly what your future holds. And I would even say that I value predictability and stability, but my actions, they prove otherwise, right? Because I quit my W-2, you know, at the beginning of 2008. And so I don't know if I'm overcompensating. And then on the other hand too, it could be even easier to achieve FI, right? If you are an entrepreneur and you have a business that can scale, there's a chance you could end up making way more than you currently are now. And so in that case, obviously you could achieve FI much sooner. So I think that's something else that's really important to keep in mind is not just the personal fulfillment that you'd find in the given work that you're doing right now, but also the scalability. Is this something that I can expand beyond, you know, working my 40 hours a week now? And it's one of the many things to consider. Well, and I think too, a big part of the past, and when we think about traditional, is that people were looking at retirement to escape. Like, I need to put in my 30, 40 years of 40 hours a week so I can be done with this whole thing. And I feel like if you are doing work you love or you're doing things you enjoy, that escapism aspect isn't there. And so you might be able to work longer, not you know necessarily be able to, but you might enjoy working longer. And the fact that you need to have X amount of dollars in an account somewhere means much less because your income today brings you joy as well. Yeah. And that's something I've found working in a W-2 position and working for myself. I don't necessarily enjoy electrical work per se. And I certainly don't say that it's my pride and joy when I'm at my W-2 job. But when I'm doing it for myself, I don't necessarily enjoy the actual work aspect of it more, but the whole piece of it is more enjoyable to me because it's my baby. It's my business. It's my pride, you know, all of me that I'm putting into this business. And so I think that giving it that entrepreneurial aspect makes it inherently something more enjoyable, at least for me. Tinian, man, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, like I don't want to quit. That's the thing, right? As an entrepreneur, I'm with you. I've built something that I really enjoy doing in photography. And honestly, this is something I'm wrestling with now, right? Joel and I have created the podcast. And so how do I dedicate more time towards that, which is something that I love doing. But at the same time, I've got photography, which I also really love. When you're doing something you truly love and enjoy doing, you're not necessarily on that fast track to fire. And I'll be the first to admit that, you know, I'm incredibly lucky. It sounds like Tinian, you are as well, to not only be doing something that I love, but that I have an opportunity to build something now also new with my best friend that I also really love. It's just an amazing problem to have where you're just in these positions of things that you want to do. And what I'm realizing is that time is a limiting factor. But yeah, not wanting to necessarily escape the work that you're currently doing. Yeah, it makes it worthwhile. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I love that. I love hearing that as an electrician. I love hearing that coming from the other end of the spectrum. In the end, as long as you're finding that personal fulfillment, that's all that matters. And I love that. Yeah, Robert, if you'd pipe in on this, you seem to enjoy your time working in retail and yet you did escape it. 
Tell me about your life now compared to then and the joys of doing the college investor versus working in retail. It was hard. Like there was no easy out. So I wrestled with the idea of leaving Target for years before I actually left. And if you guys go find early podcasts I did on the interwebs, I said many times before that like, yeah, I love doing both and I have no plans to leave because I did it. I really enjoyed working at Target. I really enjoyed blogging. But there became a point in time when it just didn't make sense. And I had to ask myself, so we kind of talked before the call, but I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And I say I value my family and I say I value my time. But Target and all of the great things that I love about it takes your time at night, at weekends, and a lot in the holiday season. So that was a big negative for me that it continued to grow as my children got older right? When I had no kids, I didn't care. And then when they're like one years old, I still didn't really care because they were just in a little carrier and it didn't really matter. Right. But then when you start having a four-year-old that like understands things and wants to like talk to you and be with you, it becomes more and more of a thing. And so that was really the defeating factor for me. Now you have to realize too, that I also had a business I was building on the side. So like in this time off, I was working on the blog. And so the two really just became battling each other. And that's, kind of where I had to make a choice. Like what aligns more with my values? And that's where I picked the blog. It's nothing against Target or retail. And I probably could have made just Target work, but I had that entrepreneurial spirit and I had that bug and I saw what I'd been building as a hobby grow. And so I couldn't leave that either. And so it wasn't easy. It was a multi-year agonizing decision process. Yeah, Matt, a lot of this really reminds me of an episode you guys did on how to money. It was episode 50 and it was titled The Cultural Misconceptions of Work. And in there you talk about utility versus meaning. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it sounds like when Robert's talking here, it sounds like he's trying to toggle between those, right? Utility versus meaning. What has more meaning for him? So the question is, you know, jobs fulfill a need for us, right? We need to make money. We need to have a place to go every day. But we also need to have something more from it. So when you left your job in advertising and decided to go into photography, was it that kind of mix of trying to balance utility with meaning in your life? I think so. I mean, in that specific case, right, I was able to marry the two. I was able to find a way from utility standpoint, make more money than I was because I quickly saw that this is something I could scale. I could work a a bit more than I'm maybe working right now and certainly make way more than I was currently making uh, on a W-2. And there's something for me personally that sitting in a cubicle, even though it was a cool, very hip cubicle, I was still sitting there all day long, not interacting with the clients. And what I realized was that I was missing that desire to help people and to connect with people on a level other than being fed instructions on how to make the logo bigger. Like that's the classic, like graphic designer feedback. And so there's something to me that was soul sucking about that. But also just having autonomy, I guess, was a huge finding fulfillment side of going out on my own and hanging my own shingle. But certainly when you can marry the two and you can see how, okay, I can easily make more money or you can see how I can easily scale this to make more money eventually, that coupled with finding meaning in your work, I mean, you can't beat it, right? I'm going to change topics a little bit. I'm going to go back over to you, Robert. You know, your website is The College Investor. But when I listen to all three of your career paths, I kind of wonder, is college necessary? You went to college. You also went to business school. How do you think it affected your trajectory? Yes and no. I think college is a good thing for a lot of people. I don't think it is the end all or the requirement for everybody. And I really hate how society pushes everyone towards college as this is what you do. You go to high school, then you go to college because it's not necessarily the case. I'm a big fan of vocational schools. I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship, but I think college also addresses a lot of social things that we need to talk about as well. College is the first time that a lot of our young adults today go away from their parents and they go live with other people and start having to get jobs on their own. And, you know, that's what I feel like is missing a lot from society these days. I think our young adults today are highly communicative online and via social messaging platform of choice. But 
in Target, I really saw this. So I, one of those things I, I share a lot is when I started at Target way back when, when I was 18 years old, so a long time ago, um, it took about three interviews to hire a cashier. When I left two years ago, we were averaging almost eight interviews to hire a cashier. It wasn't job flow. It wasn't that people didn't want the jobs. It was that they could not talk to me in an interview. And when you're talking about a consumer facing thing, I can teach you how to stock boxes and scan an item over a cash register. There's no skills required except the skill to talk to me and say hi and to have verbal communication. And so I do think that college does enable that in a way that is missing right now in K through 12 education, that it forces people to go out and form new relationships outside of social circles and talk to people and get experiences that they might not have. Now, do you need to go to Harvard and spend 100K a year to do it? No, I think a community college followed up by a state school can be just as beneficial for most people. But I think it does serve that purpose. But I think vocational schools, I think the military, I think entrepreneurship, I think there's a lot of paths that someone can take that doesn't necessarily have to be this traditional college after high school thing. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Matt, if you'd say the same thing, do you think you could have run your own business and been as successful as you are if you hadn't gone to college? Yes, I would most definitely have been able to do this on my own because I did not go to school for photography, nor did I go to school for graphic design. I was in the advertising program, which was a journalism program. And so I, I learned aspects of advertising. But 
a graphic designer is typically in the art school, right? Which is not what I did. The hard skills that I learned uh, that lend itself to my career. Did I learn those in school? I did not. That being said, there are things that you learn in college, whether it be work ethic or how to communicate with uh, group members on a team project. All the things that you learn, all the soft skills that you learn in school, those are the kind of things that are really tough to learn uh, before you actually land that first job, right? Once you get that first job, a lot of times you can pick up on that really quickly. But up until that, it's going to be a slower launch period. A few years ago, I would have said, oh, no, no one needs to go to school. It's just this path that people are on. It's a huge problem because students, they're not thinking about what they want to actually do with life. And it sort of kicks the can down the road as far as decisions that need to be made. Because, well, by default, you can just say, oh, I don't need to make any decisions. I'm just going to go to undergrad. I don't need to figure out what career path specifically I want to pursue. I can go to grad school. And so we're set on this path where we don't sort of take these decisions into account because, oh, well, there's student loans and we can kind of keep going further down the path of education. And honestly, when it comes to education specifically, I I think that's going to be one of the biggest problems and one of the toughest things for us to break. Well, and I think you kind of said it is I see too many people that are overeducated and underexperienced. So by the time you get past your first year after graduation, I have never met anyone that cares where you went to school or what your degree is or anything like that's like your ticket in the door for some jobs and not even all the jobs. But after that, everyone cares about your experience. And so the problem is, is we see all these people that are just educating themselves and educating themselves and educating themselves, yet they don't have any experiences to match their education levels. And the reverse can be true too. There could be a lot of experienced people out there, but maybe a little education could give them that edge to get to the next level farther down the road. Or in some cases, you have to play the corporate politics, right? I actually saw this with a friend of mine that was interviewing to be a C-suite executive, but had no college degree and he lost the job. And the reason they said it was, even though he was a, a VP and they loved him and delivered solid results for a decade, he didn't have a degree and they gave it to someone with a degree because it was corporate politics. So I think it can go both ways and you do have to balance the education and the experience. But education doesn't necessarily have to be college education for a lot of people. Education can be entrepreneurship education, vocational education, right? Like all the way through. Tinian, in the trades, what do people use to judge you? Is it experience? Is it what you, jobs you've done before? Or do people wonder where you went to trade school? There's a couple of different aspects of that. And I think in one of them, in terms of getting a job for a contractor, they don't really care about educational background at all. They want somebody that's going to show up and put in the work. You know, that's, that's all they're looking for. And in terms of being an entrepreneur in the trades, people want somebody that's going to answer the phone, first of all, and talk to them like a human being, which is surprisingly scant in the trades worlds. Unfortunately, there's a lot of trades workers that just don't have any interpersonal skills. So really, it's not about education at all. It's about those interpersonal skills. I mean, that's the main reason I got a job working for a contractor, my first position. I was green as can be. I had never worked in the trade at all. I had been in trade school for six months and I got the position after giving them a week's worth of free work and showing up every day. And at the end of the week, they said, you know, do you want to show up on Monday? I said, absolutely. And that was it. I stayed there for six years until I got my license. So now when I'm doing jobs for myself and people are calling me up and asking me to do jobs for them, You know, when I answer the phone, even if I answer the phone to tell them I can't do the job, they're happy about it. Oh, thank you for answering the phone. I'm so glad that you talked to me about this and I'm going to keep your name in my record books for the next time. So, Matt, I wanted to change subjects a little bit. We talk about the financial independence community. As a photographer, as an artist, do you see a lot of people who look like you in our community who have a career path similar to yours? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And I would say no. There are very few other photographers that I've worked with. There are very few folks in the arts in general, but and even broader, more broadly speaking, from the standpoint of being an entrepreneur and self-employed, there are very few folks who I think are even aware of financial independence or on top of that, you know, even working towards it. Man, I recently came across the survey that this guy did uh, on supply chain management. He's into supply chain stuff and he ran a survey on his site. And of all the folks that responded to the survey, close to 2,000 folks, only 1.6% of the folks who responded were self-employed. 1.6. Everybody else had more of the professional careers. They're either programmers or doctors or had more of the traditional professional job. I saw that recently, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. I could not believe there were just that few folks. But when I thought about and reflected on how many folks I knew personally that were also into personal finance and financial independence, I would have to say that that number is pretty accurate. 
I recently came across a Mr. Money Mustache article from a while back where he did a poll of what are the occupations of the people reading this blog. The top one, of course, was engineers, software engineers, and then went down the line from there. There's physicians, lawyers, teachers, several different layers. And then way down at the bottom in a teeny little percentage was trades, carpenters, electricians, plumbers. That was pretty inspiring to me to see that. And I know being in the trades, there is zero financial education and nobody thinks about it. Interestingly enough, though, all three of you ended up being entrepreneurs or business people. Tinian, do you think that it's one thing to say I'm a photographer or I'm an electrician, but it's another thing to say I'm a businessman. I own my own business. Do you think that gives like a veneer of respectability that you otherwise may not have gotten from other people? I think that brings it back to the beginning. That changes it from a non-professional career to a professional career. I mean, if I say I'm an electrician, people say, oh, you know, that's great. Who do you work for? Or, you know, can you come change a switch in my house? If I say I'm a business owner, that's definitely a different level, I think, in the eyes of your audience who you're talking to. If you say I own a business versus I do whatever. Yeah, I'd like to dig a little deeper on that because we know from some of the books that have been written recently, and especially Chris Hogan's most recently, that a huge percentage of the people who are considered air quote millionaires, they are business owners. So I find it interesting that in the fire space that so many people are employed and they have traditional jobs. Is the fire movement really focused or does it attract people who have working jobs and not the business owners or is it just a different path? Any thoughts on that, Robert? The cool thing is, is it really appeals to everybody. And I think when you see these surveys on Mr. Money Mustache and the fact that business owners or self-employed people are so low speaks to that. I think the hard part is on podcasts or on blogs, the people that are writing it are probably going to be the business owners or the guests or, you know, the bloggers are going to be other owners. Some of them are unintentional owners. Some of them just started a hobby and stuff. But I think that's just kind of like the path that you take because I think you're going to get Joe Schmo, you know, that's just working the path to fire and is doing pretty well, isn't going to be hopping on a call or, you know, starting a blog per se, but they're just going to keep doing it until they are successful at it. Yeah. And to your point, I think that we're going to see more people coming out into the entrepreneurial world because of the fire movement and because the influential people in the fire movement are entrepreneurs. And so it's, it's this message, you know, that, that we're all kind of putting out there. Exactly. Like the fashion industry telling people what's fashionable is, is kind of how it's going, I think. And I'll add on, like, I think in the gig economy and the economy we have today is that everyone has the potential to be micro entrepreneurs and we can call it whatever we want to call them, gig workers, side hustlers, whatever. None of these are really new. They just have a new way of approaching them. Like I think if you went back to the 1900s, people were still doing side jobs for their neighbors and their friends. You know, if you were on a farm and your neighbor had a farm, you, you know, you'd swap services on the side of your day job, which was running your farm. Like nothing we do is new, but the internet and mobile phones and all these things have enabled new avenues to approach the same topic. And so it also has made it easier than ever. But the concept of a side hustle or a side gig or earning money on the side, I don't think is new. And so I just think it's just new ways to approach it, but everyone can do it. Everyone, every Uber driver is an entrepreneur, right? In regards to the entrepreneurship, right? You know, I think that's a big reason why folks who are entrepreneurs are not necessarily pursuing FI with everything that they have is because they have that amount of flexibility that entrepreneurship offers, right? And so when you are self-employed, like you have some of that flexibility, uh, like Tinian was saying, he can choose what jobs to take and what not to take. If he's busy and if he knows he's going to be slammed in the coming months, it's like, well, maybe I'll take a few days off. So for me, being able to go and pick up my girls at school at 3 p.m., like that's something I can already do. And for a lot of folks, that's sort of in their mind, okay, I want to be able to achieve FI so that I can have this flexibility, whether it be with my kids, whether it be with my significant other, because we want to travel. But as a small business owner, and if you approach work with that mindset, that's something you can already have. And so having that flexibility as to when and how much time I take off to go visit family, that's something I can do now. But, but then keep in mind too, that I just don't have benefits like an employer match or health insurance, but that flexibility is already there. And that's something I've learned over the years that I really prize and I really appreciative that I have. Tinian, when I'm listening to Matt talk, I think it sometimes goes back to that big question, right? Do you work to live or do you live to work? And what strikes me about all three of you is you have all taken quote unquote non-traditional career paths, 
but it seems like you've been able to use those career paths to accomplish what you wanted to do in life outside of the workplace. Is that a fair thing, Tinian? Did you become an electrician because it allowed you a mix of both making money and enough freedom to live life how you want to? I became an electrician because it was an option on the table. I definitely wasn't thinking that deep when I did it. But now, that was about 12 or 13 years ago that I started to become an electrician. So now, obviously, I'm a much different person and I've taken a much different trajectory in my life than I would have thought 13 years ago. Certainly having that flexibility in my profession has really given me a lot of options. And, you know, I I am still doing this W-2 job, but it certainly won't be forever. And it probably won't be for a whole lot longer because the options are just so vast for an entrepreneur in the trades. And Matt, like you were saying, you know, having that flexibility in your job. Doc, I think you mentioned this a couple of times, at least in talking to you at Camp Fi, maybe. If you have that flexibility in your career and you're doing something that makes you happy, then aren't you already at Fi? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Exactly. On that path to Fi, let's return back to our original question. Should someone take a non-professional, or I like the better term now, non-traditional, air quote, path to financial independence? Is that a career path that people should be taking? I'll give each of you a chance to give your last thoughts on that. We'll start with Matt. I think you have to know yourself. I think you have to know yourself and you have to know what drives you, uh, what is your motivator and how do you respond to uncertainty, right? I I mentioned earlier, but not knowing exactly where you're going to be in the future is extremely difficult for someone who might want a lot of control over their life and over their finances. In addition to that, choosing not to get paid is one of the hardest things to do as a self-employed person, right? And so when you turn down work, it's incredibly tangible and you directly see how work equals you know, money, right? And so when I turn something down and when a project or wedding comes along and I'm technically available, it's kind of tough for me to say no, but I have to because at this point in my life, I'm realizing that my time is so much more valuable than my money. You know, y'all have mentioned kids, like we've got three kiddos. And for us, this is another reason why I'm not seeking after Phi like crazy right now is because the time that I have right now is, is incredibly important. And so, like I mentioned, I'm beginning to value my time more than my money. And it makes it difficult to decide and to choose whether or not should entrepreneurship, should being a small business owner be the route for you. Certainly, it's a huge consideration for me. And it's also why for me, it's important for us to diversify our, our streams of income. We didn't even touch on this. But personally, getting into real estate, right, has been a good way to even out like the peaks and valleys. And so, there's some months where I make 80% of my revenue for the year. And then to, to kind of have that trickle kind of coming in and then being able to obviously to have a, a large cushion is also incredibly important if you're going to be a, a self-employed person or an entrepreneur, but having margin in your life to be able to even out those peaks and valleys, that's also, I would say, necessary if you're going to pursue a non-professional career. Yeah, I definitely resonate with a lot of those points. Thank you for sharing. Robert, last question to you. Should someone at the audience be thinking about pursuing a non-traditional career path? My general thought is do both. Do a traditional career path and a non-traditional career path. Like Matt hit it on the head, do what works for you. But I think we live in this cool day and age where you can do both. I did it for a long time. I worked a traditional job, I guess, kind of traditional. I don't know. We hit it on the head. I don't know. We bounced back and forth. But I worked a 40-hour, 50-hour a week job for a corporate, you know, 100 employer in this country. And I started my blog and like, I would encourage the same people to do the same thing. Like, uh, you know, Tinian's doing the same thing. He's working at W2 and he's doing his hustle. Like you can do both. We have the internet. It's 24 seven. You could work a day job and you can make money on the side and you can pick and choose where you want to devote your time based on what's working and where the income's coming and what makes you happiest. Um, you know, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. And I think it can really just be about what you want to do that works for you and also where you're at in your life, right? Maybe you have a family and, or you're getting married and, you know, that's not going to be feasible at this point in time. That's okay too. Like do both, do none, like whatever works for you. Yeah. It's becoming all the more common for people to have career transitions. I think all three of you have, I certainly have, and Doc's probably would characterize himself as going to the same stage right now. Thank you so much. Tinian, what are your thoughts on this path to financial independence? Well, um, Matt and Robert really did a great job of hitting some really important points there. So I, I think I'm going to focus my answer on the trades since it's an area that I know pretty well now. And there's just so many options in the trade. There's such a variety of jobs that 
take a variety of skills. I mean, being an electrician is a whole lot different than being a crane operator. There's so many different areas that if somebody was interested in doing a sort of non-traditional path, there's so many options out there that I highly recommend at least looking into it. And then, you know, like Robert was saying, do both. You know, you can very easily build up some skills that you can use to create a side job if you want to build stuff that you sell on Craigslist or something like that. I just had a guest post from uh, Dad Bod Fi. These guys, they started having no DIY skills. They started building things out of old pallets. And for the heck of it, they threw one on a Craigslist and see what it would happen. And all of a sudden, they're making pretty good money selling custom-made things out of pallets on Craigslist. And these guys are hanging out in their garage drinking beer while they're doing this stuff. You know, there's a lot of options out there and it's good to keep your options open. And it's funny that we think of the trades as being non-traditional, but how many people are actually in the trades? It'd be interesting to see the numbers, you know, software engineers versus all the trades put together. Would that be a, you know, on parity or not? Well, you know, and it's interesting because the trades right now are seeing a massive worker gap because right. it's an older generation. The career traditionally is an older generation and they're retiring out. And, you know, we've been told to go to college for so long now that nobody's going into the trades anymore. They're all going to college. And so it just means that there's so many more opportunities opening up. I think part of the reason why we use non-traditional in this setting is in this community, in the financial independence community, as you were saying, if you tick down the different career paths, I think the trades is like right way, 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 way at the end. And then right below that is probably retail and photography. So it's not traditional out in the world per se, but non-traditional in this community. And I think that's what makes it so interesting to see all of your paths because they don't fit the typical script that a lot of people in our community do. Yes. Thanks all of you for sharing. And we'll give you each of a chance to promote your channels. You're where you are on the interwebs and let us know what is up next for you. So let's go to Robert first. Where can we find you and what is up next? You guys can find me at thecollegeinvestor.com and we have a college investor audio show if you like to listen to podcasts. And the biggest thing that's up next is we are launching our Side Hustling Student Scholarship. So if you know a Side Hustling student in your life, they can win up to 2000 bucks by sharing their Side Hustle story. So we're looking for high schoolers and even college students that are making money on the side, whether they're trying to pay for college or they have cool stories. And uh, that's what we want to hear. And we're going to pick a scholarship winner for that. So I think it'll be a really cool opportunity for the side hustling student. That is interesting. How is that being funded? Through us. That's just by us. Uh, this is our third year doing it. And so the last couple of years, we've had some awesome stories, some awesome side hustles. I love hearing these entrepreneurial students. So fun to, to read their stories. So yeah. All right. Tinian, same opportunity for you. Where can we find you and what's up next for you? So I am at DIY25.com. That's uh, the number two. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at DIY Captain. Apparently some imposter has taken Captain DIY on those platforms, but uh, the real one's at DIY Captain. You know, what's next is I have a few more projects going on here at home and uh, with some other people. So there's going to be some more how-tos and got some more great guest posts coming up and hopefully starting to roll out a uh, monthly newsletter. So if you want to come on by and check it out and sign in, then you'll be getting something exciting in the mail every month. And Matt, to you, where can we find you and what is up next in your world? Yeah, I would love for anyone listening to check out my podcast, How to Money. We touch on financial independence. Some, our goal is to talk about money, whether it be about earning it, spending it, investing it. We just want to make it part of our daily conversation, just like we talk about everything else in our lives. And then most importantly, we want listeners to realize though, that necessarily they don't have to deprive themselves of the things that they truly enjoy. You know, still do those things, still have a life, but there's a balance. And so we just want folks to consider cutting the things out from your life that you're doing mindlessly. And you know, that mindless consumption is what I feel like is what's keeping people in debt. That thoughtless approach towards money is what's keeping people from realizing financial independence. So uh, I do that with my co-host, Joel. He's a veteran and spoken word in the radio landscape. And Matt doesn't mention that not only do they give you great investing in life tips, but they also give you some great tips on what type of beer to drink. Uh, so definitely you have to catch that podcast. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Robert Farrington, Tinian Crawford, and Matt Altmix. That's a wrap. Kenny near, near, nearly ruined the whole thing by sorry, moving around. Sorry, I know. I'm, I'm trying to get a microphone stand here so I don't have to hold it the whole time. I'm, I'm messing with you. I mean, I, I muted you. It's fine. <laughs> okay.
Like they say in the trades, take your time, but hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. I think I'm going to get going. Uh, All right. I apologize for, for rolling in late there, Paul. Was there, was there anything else? I, I mean, nope. kind of went so. rolling. So I didn't know if there's anything else I needed to have. No, it gave us plenty of time to talk shit about you before you got here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Big success. That's right. That's right. Well, normally in all the podcast interviews I've done so far, because I'm so big and famous, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I always have a glass of whiskey that I'm drinking, but it's a little bit too early in the day too for me early. to be drinking whiskey. So I'm going with coffee for say, now. We'll Matt would agree with that. He may have a beer. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, actually, that's that's a good point. Maybe we should be drinking beer. Yeah. Oh, we've never we've never done that, but I feel like there should well, be. I have. You just didn't know about it. <laughs> well, I am. We are going to do a panel on beer and financial independence. Oh, I like I've that. got two two panelists already. I'm just looking for a third and a fourth. So that one we might have to drink a beer while we do it. I mean, Target, you don't wear a suit and a tie, but I definitely put on my red and khaki. When I became when I became a, when I became a manager, right? I went from my scrubby red and khaki to I would wear dress khaki pants and my red shirt. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally I, I kind of see that. Robert, I want to see you in pleats. Okay? <laughs> I had pleated, I had my pleated khaki pants, you know. And it, when it was like when like the CEO was coming into town, like I would put on my red button down and yeah. I'd be looking sharp. <laughs> As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.